trust that you do. If you can open with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one right in front of you where you're sitting. Grab one of those. If you don't have one at all, that is yours. Uh, please take that and read that because it will change your life forever. And welcome to what I think is week 33 in our series that has us walking through the, the book of Romans. After this week, we have four more to go. So we've just been walking through this deep, um, just amazing book. And over the last several weeks, we've looked at the, the practical outworking of, of what the inward salvation of our lives do. That God saves us and then changes us. There's a change. There's something that happens in our lives. And this morning... Our focus turns to, to hope. It's going to take us a little bit to get there, but we're going to look at hope. And the question I want to just lay over us today is this. Where does your hope come from? Where does your hope come from? Can hope be ours? Can hope be ours in the midst of this world in which we, we live? On Saturday, December 17th, 1927, the crew of the Navy submarine S-4 was trolling beneath the waters of Cape Cod Bay. They were engaged in routine testing of their vessel. The, the Coast Guard cutter Paulding was traveling across the surface doing the same thing. The vessels never saw each other. The submarine broke the surface just in time to receive the death blow from the Paulding. The submarine, with its crew of 40, sank in less than five minutes. It came to rest more than 100 feet below the ocean floor. Rescue attempts Though meager and primitive in 1927, began at once, but due to impossible weather, it took more than 24 hours for the first diver to actually descend to the wreckage. As soon as the diver's feet hit the hole, he immediately heard tapping. There were survivors alive, trapped inside, pounding out Morse code on the hole with a hammer. The diver discovered that six crewmen had survived the collision. And efforts were renewed to reach these men before it was too late. But again, the weather would not allow them. Every attempt at salvation failed. With their air supply dwindling, these six survivors tapped out in Morse code a final haunting question. The question was this. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? And for this, these six men, there was none. And this story is a reminder for all of us that we need a few essentials in our lives to survive. We need food. We need water. We need air. And I would add one more to that. We need hope. We need hope in order to survive. If hope is taken away, our spirits wilt. And our ability to resist against the, the enemy's forces, the darkness, our resistance collapses. We need hope to exist in this world the same way our lungs need oxygen. And hope is that intangible fuel that moves the human spirit. We hope that cir circumstances in our lives will improve. We hope that tomorrow will be brighter. We hope that our future is better than our present and our, our past. Is there any hope? And for most people in this world, when they say hope, what they really mean is wish. I wish. I, I tap my heels together three times and I'm making a wish and wishing upon a star. And I hope that it works out. In fact, the ancient world generally had no regard for hope. 
They viewed it as a temporary illusion. Historians even tell us that there was a great cloud of hopelessness that covered the ancient world. Their philosophies were empty of hope. Their traditions had hope just disappearing. The religions of the day were powerless to give men hope in life and death. People in that day, they longed for hope. They prayed for hope. They worked for hope. Yet they found no hope. And the reason is, hear this today. There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. There's no hope outside of him. There never will be hope. And hope is quite a word. It's quite a word. Everyone from poets to politicians, from counselors to pastors, recognize that hope is a powerful word. In fact, hope and its siblings appear over, the word hope appears over 150 times in your Bible. In case you're wondering, the word hopeless only appears two times in your Bible. So when you're saying that something is hopeless, you are saying something that doesn't really appear much in the Bible. Choose to say that there is hope because there is a God who has given us hope. And if there's, I just want to lay a foundation this morning before we jump in. If there is a hope to be had, it must come from God. For he is the only source of hope. He is the only truth source of hope in our lives and hope points us to him and points us to a person in fact in the words of pastor paul david tripp says this and i love this powerful quote hope is not a thing not a location not a situation not an experience hope is a person and his name is jesus may we hold to that today hope is a person so let's turn to the word and let's lift high together a hope that still abounds. 2,000 years later, this hope is still abounding. 2,000 years later, this hope can still be ours. And this hope can be yours. So if you're able, and I ask you to stand as we honor God's word. It's also going to be on the screens. We're going to start with verse 7, even though we hit that last week to kind of just catapult us to where we're going today. So verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And I'm going to pause it like I did in the first service and say this. Aren't you glad that Jesus welcomed you? Aren't you glad that Jesus, open arms, welcomed you? Then it says this, for the glory of God, he welcomed you. Verse 8, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again, it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, O you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word. Lord, what we have not, Lord, give it to us. What we are not, God, make us. What we know not, Lord, show us. Reveal to us, speak, O God, for we are listening. Holy Spirit, speak, speak. Lord, we pray, God, if we are hoping in anything other than you today, that we would understand that our our hope is hopeless. 
And help us to turn our attention to you. And may you become our hope today. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. If you pay attention to the world in which we live, we, if you listen to people around you, come to realize really quickly that we are a hope-obsessed people. Just think about how many times a day you hear the word hope. I hope we're on time. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope it's not cancer. I hope they'll, they'll understand. I hope he'll be okay. I hope she's not mad at me. I hope God hears me. I hope things get better. We hope and we hope and we hope from the, from the smallest of things to the grandest of things. Our lives are shaped by, directed by, motivated by hope. It is hope in something that gets us out of bed every day. Everyone hopes. Everyone is hoping in someone or something. And everyone hopes that their hope will actually come through for them. No one ever intentionally hopes in something that's hopeless no one intentionally ever hopes in something they know won't come through for them. I say that, but oftentimes what do we do? We, we hope in athletics. We hope in this. We hope in that. We hope in politics. We hope in things. And guess what? We're forever left disappointed. And the reality is this. We hope in things that can't come through for us. And we're left holding the bag because of it. And if you are looking to anyone or anything other than God for your hope, you won't have any. And before we dive in today, before we look at our truths, I want to remind us today that hope doesn't mean just you're not just doing nothing. Hope is not just dreaming. Hope is not just this illusion that makes you say, well, I'm not in pain even when you are in pain. That's not what hope is. If you're taking notes, write this down. Hope is a confident expectation, a confident expectation that God will do what he says he will do. Hope is a confident expectation that God will do what he says he will do. And hope is a willingness to let God be God. To let God determine the circumstances of your life and my life and let God do it on his timetable and not my own so that he can receive all the glory. So we've looked at hope already, and we're going to, more is coming, but I want us to dive into this text and see how Jesus is our hope. So three truths today that I, I pray that will just stick in us and will just stir us in a way that we need to be stirred. First is this, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. <coughs> he is the fulfillment of God's promises. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. Christ became a servant to the circumcised, as to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So not only did Jesus come from Israel, so Jesus came as a Jew, Jesus came to Israel. And he came to them as a servant. He was a servant as a teacher and a prophet to them. He was a servant as their great high priest and in their most necessary role he served them as their all-sufficient sacrifice for sin jesus laid down his life as a ransom for many he came as the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world jesus's mission was to save all people but he started with his own people and he did it according to paul to show the truthfulness of god 
Meaning that, that God is true to what his word says. Think about that. What does it mean for God to be truthful? You know that God is so good at what he does that we just take it for granted. We just take it for granted that God is truthful in all of his ways. God is truthful in everything he says and all of his ways and all of his attributes. He is truthful. He is truthful to himself in every moment of every day. And we don't even, that don't even move us anymore. If you want to be moved by that, let me tell you this. Compare that to yourself. Most of us, and I said this earlier, most of us, listen, we're not even truthful at church. We come in and we're, we have pain, we have sorrow, and let someone walk up to us and say, how are you doing? Good. You liar. You lie to church. Like what in the world? Your pride is keeping you from letting other people into your life. And guess what? Satan loves it. Satan loves it. Satan loves us to let our pride keep people out of our lives. And God is saying, I'm trying to get you to let them in. And so we realize the beauty of this. But here's the deal. God is truthful in all of his ways. He has never and he will never lie. And only, not only did Jesus come to show us that beautiful picture of, of who, Christ, or who God is and his truthfulness, he also came to show us that God is faithful to his word. In fact, look at what it says, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. The coming of Jesus showed that God keeps his word, and he kept his word to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Remember the Old Testament. Remember Genesis 12. God comes to Abraham, 75 years old, no children from you. I will make you a great nation, and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He gave that same promise to Isaac and to Jacob. But here's what we know. Abraham fell short of being a blessing to the nations. In fact, right after God gave him a promise, Abraham went to another nation and he brought calamity upon another nation by lying about his wife. Israel as a whole wasn't a blessing to all nations. They were a curse to the nation. In fact, in the prophets, God says, you defame my name among the nations. But here's the beauty. What Abraham couldn't do, what Israel couldn't do, Jesus did. And he came as the fulfillment of of all of God's promises, and he came and he is the blessing to all nations. Praise be to him. So that, as Paul says in verse 9, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. You see, for a saved Jew, a saved Jew glorifies God for his truth. That the saved Jew has the covenants, the old covenants of God. They hold to those old covenants. They have that. God kept his word. But to the saved Gentile, we don't have those covenants. Now, we have the new covenant, praise be to God. But we don't have those covenants. So what? we don't have a covenant from God. So what we depend upon is the mercy of God, his mercy. We have his mercy. Praise be to God for his mercy. Praise be to God that God doesn't treat us as we deserve to be treated. That God doesn't give to us what we deserve. Praise be to God. Which leads us to the second truth. That Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise. But secondly, Jesus is the gift of mercy to all people. Jesus is the gift of mercy to all people. So Jesus came so that we could receive the mercy of God. And because God is great in his mercy, we who have received it should be praising God for it. This is what... Paul does in verses 9 through 12, he gives us four quotations from three divisions of the Old Testament. So four quotations from the law, from the prophets, and then from the Psalms. And from these great heroes of faith, from Moses, from David, 
and from Isaiah. And think about this. What Paul is doing here, he's bringing forth the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. So think about that. He's bringing forth those three things. And then think about in Luke 24, 44, Jesus appears to the disciples after he rose from the dead. And in Luke 24, 44, Jesus said this, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, hear this, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What Jesus is saying, in case you missed it, he's saying, that all pointed to me. I am the fulfillment of it all. Everything in there points to me. I'm the fulfillment of it. And look at the progression that takes place here through these four quotations. The first one in verse 9 of chapter 15, David praised God among the Gentiles. So he's praising God among the Gentiles. He's saying those outside of the covenant, look at me, praise God. Secondly, in verse 10, Moses exhorted the Gentiles to rejoice with his people. So come and join us in rejoicing in God. The third, in verse 11, the psalmist commanded the Gentiles to praise the Lord. And then the fourth, in verse 12, Isaiah predicted that the Gentiles will live under the rule of the root of Jesse, who is the Messiah, and we will have hope, or we will put our hope in him. So this scripture shows us a progression of God's people praising God among the Gentiles, the Gentiles then praising God with God's people, and now all the earth is praising God. All peoples are joining together in the praise of our God, saying, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory and wisdom and power and might. This is the one that we serve. We hope in him. And here's the deal. When the doors of the gospel flung open to the Gentiles, Gentiles are welcomed into the new covenant. It exploded or it led to an explosion of of worship. This is what verse 9 means when it says, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God. And I love that word. And sometimes we miss that word. The word glorify there means, excuse me, to ascribe weight to ascribe weight to. It means to recognize the weightiness of the subject. So God just didn't want to save the Gentiles. God wanted the Gentiles to see and to respond to his weightiness, to see and respond to his glory. Therefore, we're not fulfilling our purpose as the people of God if we're not making much of him. We're not doing what we're called to do. Just imagine today, imagine that we're sitting here in this service. And as you're sitting here in the service, just imagine a, a mouse running over your foot. Now, some of you, like Pastor Jordan, would scream like a girl. And some of you would scream, and then you would climb up on the pew. You would get as high as you possibly could go. So imagine just the chaos breaking out here because of a mouse. And then imagine in the midst of all of that chaos, imagine this door right here busting open, and here, in comes a lion. Now, I'm not a smart man. But let me tell you something. I have a feeling... None none of us in this room would care much about a mouse in that moment. Why? Because any room that a lion enters, the lion becomes the weightiest thing in that room. You forget about a mouse in the presence of a lion, right? Maybe you're thinking right now, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Here's the deal. God is the lion in this room. Stop worrying about Small things. Stop worrying about things that have no weight and start putting your focus on the one that has all the weight. 
Stop putting your focus on the mouse and start putting your focus on the lion. Putting your focus on the one who is more than able. God wants us to know him. He wants us to glorify him in light of it all. And what Paul is trying to get us to see, don't miss this. Paul is trying to get us to see that we work best when we praise God and glorify God. Hear this together. When we do it together. I don't know about you, but have you ever heard someone say, I don't need the church in order to go to heaven? It's such a sad statement because here's the deal. There are plenty of sins that we can commit and still go to heaven. The question on our, on our minds shouldn't be, what sins can I keep doing and still go to heaven? That shouldn't be the question. The question in our hearts and minds should be, because of the mercy of God in saving me, how can I best glorify him? That should be the question, and let me answer it. How can you and I best glorify God? Here's the answer. Don't miss this. Together. Together. We best glorify him together. When we're united saying it's not about us, it's not about us, it's about him. We can't save you. Our opinions can't save you. Our politics can't save you. Jesus can save you. That is our declaration. He, again, is the only Savior of sinners in the world. Let him be God. Let, let's glorify him for his mercy towards us, and let's let his mercy lead us to praise him even more. So Jesus is the gift of mercy to all people, which leads us to the last truth, which is this, and it gets really, really good here. Jesus is the hope of all people. He's the hope of all people. Look at the end of verse 12. In him will the Gentiles hope. And then Paul says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is a doxology that Paul is praying over the believers in Rome and over anyone who will read this. Meaning he's praying this over us. Hope is the focus of this prayer that the God of hope would cause us to overflow with hope. But Paul doesn't directly pray for hope. He prays for that which will cause us to have hope, meaning he's praying for joy and peace in our lives. But where does joy and peace come from? Paul tells us we believe in the God of hope. Listen to it again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Listen to it in Believing. In believing. If you, were, if you were here on Wednesday night or watching online, you heard this and you're going to hear it again. God really stirred my heart this week with something that really hit me. I've had many people come to me and they say, Pastor, I, I'm in a dry land right now. I'm just in a parched land. I'm just not growing. I just find myself just, just not overflowing with joy and peace in my life. And of course, I always would ask them, you know, are you reading your Bible? Are, are you praying? And, of course, they go, well, yeah, 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 kind of, a, a little bit. Mainly that probably means to their pastor, no, I'm really not, but I'm not going to tell you I'm not. I'm just going to tell you I'm doing a little bit. But listen, did you know that you can read this Bible every day and still not have joy and peace? Did you know that you can pray to God every day and even pray, God, me, 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 me every day and still not have joy and peace? Where does it come from? Where? Listen, don't miss this. We have to believe we have to believe when we read this book that God is who he says he is 
he is who he says he is. And when we pray, we have to believe that God is willing to answer that anything that we pray according to his name and his will. That if we ask, it will be given. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, the door will be opened. We believe. So why don't we have joy and peace in our lives? Maybe because we stop believing. Maybe because we're not believing like we once did. Maybe today the calling on your life is believe again. Believe again. Start believing again in who God is and what he is able to do. Because our God, here's the deal. Here's what Paul's saying. He wants hope to overflow in your life. And when hope overflows in your life, he wants it to do it in such a way that people won't miss it. Listen, why, why isn't the lost and dying world flooding in the church? Because they don't see much hope in those who profess to be Christians. They don't see much hope in our lives. And they definitely don't see joy and peace. They see oftentimes we're stirring up problems and we don't have a joy at all. I remember what my dad used to say. It looks like we've been sucking on lemons all of our lives. We have no joy in us. And yet when people see joy, it gets their attention. And when we have a peace that surpasses all understanding, guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, the world will know. The world will know. Where's your hope? What, what's coming from your hope? Is there joy? Is there peace in your life? Are you believing? I believe there are some in this moment, some in this holy moment right now that need to pray the words of Mark 9, 24. You need to pray right now, right where you are. Or in just a few minutes when this altar opens, pray right here, God, I believe, help my unbelief. God, I believe, help my unbelief. God, I want to believe. I want to believe again. I need to believe because I need your joy and your peace in my life. And God, I'll never have it outside of belief in you. Help my unbelief. And what we're praying in that is this. God, overcome my unbelief by your grace and mercy. Overcome my unbelief by your joy and peace. And here's what I know. God will. He will. Listen, our, our hope, our hope isn't just some wishful thinking. Our hope is certain. Jesus is our hope, and he is an enduring hope. He is an eternal hope. He is our forever hope. May he be your hope today. But maybe the calling today is this, believe again. Believe again. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Today, may today be a call to lay our unbelief down. May today be a call to lay our unforgiveness down. May today be a call to lay anything down that is not pleasing the Lord and say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Meet me here. And praise be to God, he will. He will. So let, let us stand. We're about to enter this time of invitation and consecration. Whatever God is telling you to do, may we do it. May we do it. Let us pray. Father, we come before you and God, we are a hopeless people apart from your hope. God, we hope in everything other than you, God, and we are left hopeless. We are left helpless. Lord, we are left without. And all of those things happen, God, so that we can have our eyes open to your hope, to who you are, and the fact, Lord, you never disappoint. Lord, I pray across this room, across Lord, those that are watching online this morning, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Help our unbelief, God. Forgive us for unbelief. Forgive us for not taking you at your word. 
Forgive us for not putting our hope and trust in you. Forgive us for not believing that you are who you say you are. Forgive us for not understanding our need for your joy and peace in our lives. And forgive us for where we have made substitutes and allowed substitutes to take over for those things, God, that only you can give. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Help our unbelief. Oh, God, give us joy and peace so that we may overflow with hope in you. All for your glory. You are the greatest thing in this room today. Finish. Finish this time. In Jesus' name.